So welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, and we got a great episode for you here today where we, we talk about the wild card action that happened over the past week. Uh, we preview the divisional round. We make our picks there as well. And then we're also going to start a new little series here before we get to the, the heart of the offseason where we're picking our top five players at each position around the NFL. So make sure you stay tuned for the end there. Otherwise, we're just going to jump right into it here. Uh, for some other guys down the field. 
on the flip side of things, I, I, I honestly thought from the get-go it was very clear that the Raiders were undermanned in this one. They were the team that was, you know, fighting up a weight class. And you can point to the expanded playoff field, all this stuff, and maybe the Chargers should have been in. The Chargers' defense was just as bad as this Raiders' defense in the last couple of weeks. I really like their defense. I think there's a lot of potential. They just haven't lived up to it. So, honestly, it, it was an overachieving season for the Raiders, in my opinion. And, I mean, they have nothing to hate their heads about. I think that it was still pretty solid. I think they should still bring everybody back. I think they play hard for Pistachia. Give him another year with a, a full year as a, as a head coach guy and really see what he can do. And I think he could be the long-term answer there. So it's nothing to be too down about if you're a Raiders fan. But the Bengals, I think that it's something that they can get excited about because this wasn't even their best football, and they still control pretty much this entire game. The second game of the weekend that we were taking a look at here is going to be the wild card game between the Patriots and the Bills. And it was going to be the Patriots being the the five seed coming into the four seeded Bills, who end up, or excuse me, the six seeded Patriots coming into the three seeded Bills. And the the Bills had the home game here and kind of were riding some momentum. They had a, a couple score victory over them at late in the season. And in this one, it almost it felt like there was a chip on the shoulder. The Bills end up getting the win 47-17. to 17, And really, it was complete domination for most of this game. It's 27-3 hitting in the halftime. And really, they're running away with it. Uh, there were some stats out online that this was the, the most... It was a perfect uh, NFL game, mainly because um, Josh Allen had the ball seven times and they scored seven times. So that that's really impressive there in its own... And I could just tell early on in this one that they were going to run away with it. After about like two, three scores, you could see uh, Mac Jones kind of starting to press, and he ends up throwing that pick. That was a really, really good play on the ball by the the Bills DB in the end zone. But that's just uncharacteristic. When this when this Patriots team wins, they're really able to to lean on his efficiency and being able to run the ball and really take care of the ball. And that's just a a matter of a play that he he doesn't do and they don't win football games that when they make those plays is basically what I'm saying. So the fact that they had him up against the wall, that they're pressing, not really playing their style of football, that was concerning to me right off the bat. Uh, speaking of Mack, he ends up going for 232, two touchdowns, two picks. Uh, as we mentioned, turning the ball over doesn't really help them win many football games. And then on the flip side of things, we get Josh Allen, you get 308 yards, five touchdowns, which is just absolutely ridiculous on top of it and really as, as a whole here the Bills almost outgained the Patriots by 200 yards and they almost doubled what they had on the ground and the Bills really aren't known for their ground game you get 81 from Devin Singletary and 66 from Josh Gordon 29 from Isaiah McKenzie it just all around complete domination they win the turnover battle they're plus two just everything points to the to the Bills just completely winning this game, and that's basically what it looked like. There was never much of a doubt. Uh, Josh Allen looks like he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, uh, which rightfully so he is. And I just was, I was really impressed with this Bills team. I thought that their their defense wasn't going to look this great, and I honestly was I thought that their offense would struggle a little bit more because the Patriots have a top five defense. But if they continue to play like this, they're going to be a very serious threat. And I think the Chiefs definitely should be concerned <clears throat> Concerned rolling into this weekend. The third game I wanted to take a look at this weekend here is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's uh, Buccaneers end up pulling one out 
pretty convincing win, 31 to 15, and it really wasn't that close ever, in my opinion. If you're watching the game, they're winning 17 nothing at halftime. They end up putting up another 14, and they went to 31 and 31 to nothing going into the fourth quarter, where the the Eagles throw up 15 points in garbage time. So it makes it look a little bit easier to stomach. But really, the name of the game in this one was uh, Jalen Hurts' inability to move the ball. Uh, I think I turned the game on. I watched most of the first quarter, had to leave, came back, and then just at the beginning of the second quarter, and the Philadelphia Eagles had like two yards passing, which is like completely unacceptable in a playoff game through one quarter. Uh, Jalen Hurts ends up rounding out the day with like 258 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Uh, They end up combining with uh, Boston Scott, Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders on the ground for about 89 yards, which is just shy of 100, but it in a playoff game, when you're trying to kind of grind it out, it, that really doesn't help. And on the, the flip side of things, I think we're taking a look at the Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady is still operating at an extremely high level. He only had eight, eight, eight incompletions on the day, 271 yards and two touchdowns, especially with a lot of these weapons that he's been missing after Chris Godwin tears his ACL. Antonio Brown kind of goes nuclear and leaves the team. Uh, you see O.J. Howard gets hurt. They don't really have a ton of options anymore. Uh, they got Mike Evans, they got Rob Gronkowski, and after that, who's their number two or their three? Uh, are we talking Tyler Johnson? Are we talking Cameron Brait? we talking Scotty Miller? Uh, Brashad Perryman? And my apologies, actually, O.J. Howard still did play. But, yeah, I mean, when, when we're looking at this, there's not a lot of options. There's not a lot of high-level players that they're going to be able to throw the ball to, which is kind of why I'm I'm a little bit bullish on uh or excuse me bearish on the the Buccaneers here just because I don't know what what the ceiling is for this offense anymore especially without having a run game as they've been kind of leaning on Keyshawn Vaughn and Gio Bernard on the flip side of thing the thing that gives me a lot of uh hope with the Buccaneers is their defenses look really really good uh their front sevens playing dominant football which is kind of what they did last year they really turned it on with some of these guys in the front seven between uh Vita Vea and Nadamik and Sue and Shaq Barrett and uh, Nunez Roches. And then there we all know about the, the linebacker Tannen behind him and Levante David and uh, Devin White being one of the best in all of football. And really these DBs are starting to get oppor- opportunistic plays. Carl Davis makes a couple big ones in this one and gets a kind of a boneheaded penalty, but they're also turning it on at the right time. They're getting healthy at the right time, and they're they're able to support Tom Brady when he's going to need it here for the stretch. So they're still going to be a threat, but I just don't. I'm not. I'm not as high on them as I have been in the years past. The second Sunday game ends up giving us a little bit more action that uh, kind of what you'd expect with the playoff game here. Uh, we get the 49ers and the the Dallas Cowboys. The 49ers being the sixth seed in the NFC. The Dallas Cowboys being the three. And uh, we get this one with the 49ers coming out on top as the underdog, 23-17. to 17. And really, uh, I called this one earlier in the day. I know they were plus three on the day. Ended up taking that one. They ended up covering. But really, I, I thought they were going to win outright. I was like, the 49ers are kind of rolling. And this, this Dallas team's kind of been coasting. They haven't looked like absolutely great in a couple weeks. But they also haven't looked bad. And this defense, I kind of thought, it, I don't want to say they were fake. But they definitely had some flaws to them, uh, especially in that defensive backfield. And I'm not saying by any means that they're not improved over what they've been in the past. But, I mean, that this is by no means uh, a rock-solid, best-in-the-league defense like some of these people were talking about it as. 
And I kind of thought that the 49ers would be able to control the ground game. I thought that maybe throwing the ball, they'd really be be struggling, especially with Jimmy G's injury. Uh, and basically, I like this secondary better than I like this front seven for run defense. And that, that was kind of the ends up being the the the, the overarching effect here is basically what I'm trying to get at. So when we take a look at the box score, you see 341 yards by the San Francisco 49ers. You get 307 yards by the Dallas Cowboys. In terms of the turnover battle, it's pretty much even here. They're both uh, had one turnover. So that can't kind of cancel each other out, they, even on possessions. And uh, I think that the, the telling thing here is, is they were able to control the ground game. You get 169 yards by the, the San Francisco 49ers to so the 77 yards by the Dallas Cowboys. And when you think about it, the Dallas Cowboys, they have Zeke Elliott, they have Tony Pollard, they have these these dynamic running running backs to go behind one of these really great offensive lines. And I just, their inability to get the ground game going, I think has kind of been to their detriment all year. I mean, hats off, they still win 12 games this year, but it kind of felt disappointing. And I think that it's a true testament to, to why they weren't able to win. And on the flip side of things, you get the 49ers who... You get Elijah Mitchell for 96. You get Debo Samuel for 72. And they, right there, that that's a recipe to win football games. I mean, Debo Samuel might be the most elite playmaker in all of football. I don't think there's a better guy at running routes on the outside than put uh, motion him in the backfield and handing a ball to the guy and just being a, a really physical downhill runner once he does get the ball. And, both, and there's not a lot of dudes that can do both of them things. But the name of this one is I, I think the Niners just out physical this team. Uh, I mean, they didn't even need Jimmy G to be elite. They just needed him to be a game manager. 172 yards, zero touchdowns and interception. Uh, if you're going to be able to win football games like that, imagine what you're going to do when he throws a, a touchdown or two. It's a, It can be very seriously dangerous uh, down the road here if, if Jimmy can figure it out at all. And the other thing that I wanted to make sure we got in here too is that there was an absurd amount of penalty yards uh, by the Dallas Cowboys. They had like 14 penalties for 89 yards, which, I mean, when, when you have that many penalties in a football game, you're not going to win a lot of them. Like, you, you're constantly in key situations, jumping off sides and having holding penalties, and it's just, it's it's really hard to come back from a lot of that stuff. And the last point that I wanted to address from this one is, is the obvious uh, referee situation at the end of the game. Uh, with 14 seconds left, the, the Cowboys, uh, to get in a little bit of better range, they're about 40-some yards out. They elect to go with a QB draw over trying to throw it and take a shot at the end zone. And I'm totally fine with this. And I don't like everybody ragging on the ref saying, like, oh, why is the ref so far away? Why is he running so slow? They're, they have their certain positions that they're supposed to be at at all times. And they even address it in the, the interview afterwards that he was in the right position. So my point is, why even put the ref in that situation? Why, why are you running the ball and handing it to your center? Why don't you put it on the ground, hand it to the ref? Uh, make it happen and also why are you running 20 yards down the field like obviously it's going to be it's going to be a a time crunch here like why would why would you even put yourself in that position to have to trust the referee to be on time to get your next playoff not even get the next playoff just to spike the ball to get the next playoff like it's I don't know it just it didn't make a lot of sense to me in the moment and I was just kind of like really that's how we're going to go with this like if you're going to do that why not go like a quick slant route where he can get 10 yards, get down, and you get two shots at the end zone or something like that. I don't know. I just didn't like it. I think uh, it's – I mean, it's more on the play calling and it's more on the, the players as a whole. You can't blame the refs. I mean, it, it, we're a broken record here. Every, every single game, everybody's, oh, the refs are so bad, the refs are so bad. Like, don't, don't put the game in the refs' hands. 
as a player, you do everything you can to win the game. Don't make it so, so close so that you have to depend on a referee to make the right call for you to win that game. So I'm, I'm all the way out on that one. The next game ended up being the Sunday night game. It was going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Pittsburgh Steelers sneak into the playoffs here with uh, the Jaguars' victory over the Colts at the end of the year. And really, uh, I, I thought that they were going to be outclassed and outmatched for the entire thing. And I, I pretty much wasn't right. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this game because it was probably one of the least interesting ones of the entire weekend. But basically, the Steelers end up getting shot down here by the Chiefs, 42-21. to and it kind of started off a little rough in this one. Uh, it was 0-0 zero to zero through the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, they start the second quarter. You get a fumble recovery by TJ Watt for a touchdown. And the Steelers go up 7 nothing. And you're like, oh, this, is this going to be a football game? Have they, you know, Is their defensive game plan going to be better than what the Chiefs can do? Can they hold this offense? And then it just like was mass eruption after that. The, the Chiefs end up just going off and winning by three scores. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, we're the Chiefs. And... We have a ton of offensive weapons and a ton of offensive players here that can really get stuff done. And we're just going to just flex our muscle on you guys. They end up going for 478 yards to the Steelers, 257. And when we take a look at the turnovers, uh, the Chiefs actually lose this turnover battle. They're minus one, but it, it didn't even matter. They're just so dominant on offense and able to move the ball that it was just too much for the Steelers. Uh, for the Steelers, uh, if, if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend go, uh, searching for <laughs> Big Ben's uh, shot chart. I mean, he, this guy doesn't even throw the ball past like five yards down the field anymore. It's almost embarrassing. Like, I don't, I don't know what else you can do for this guy. Like, if he's not done, like some people are obviously the mass speculation is, yep, this was his last game. There's, there was a lot of uh, flowers being thrown at him afterwards for you know great career. But some people are speculating that he might be coming back, that he's, you know, his ego is going to get the best of him. There's just no way this guy can do that. And, like, I, I hate to, like, dog him like this on the way out because he has been a really good quarterback for the last couple decades here. Just the last two seasons, it, it's been really hard to watch. And 215, two touchdowns, doesn't sound bad. But when you look at that shot chart, you're going to be like, wow, is – I mean, it's, it's, it's like an RPO system here with a guy that can't run the ball. You're basically just leaning on Najee for the entire offense, which he ends up only with 29 yards, and then he ends up getting a, a couple catches for minus one. So, yeah, I think you're asking a lot out of a rookie running back with not a whole lot of playmaking under center to help him out there. On the flip side of things, as it seems like the last six weeks, as we've been seeing, other than maybe that Bengals game, it's, it's seeming like the Chiefs are starting to kind of find their mojo uh, Patrick Mahomes, just an absolutely elite game. The stuff that we expect from him, 404 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. And then on the ground, uh, the most surprising part of this game, I think, has got to be uh, Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon, the longtime Viking. I believe he spent some time with the Niners, comes over to the Chiefs. And everybody kind of thought that he'd be like this X factor, like third down guy able to do a couple different dynamic things and with uh Clyde Edwards Alaire's absence he really kind of capitalized on this and kind of kind of took that role finally that everybody was expecting him to do he ends up with 61 yards on the ground and I think what was more impressive was the receiving work that he got it was 81 yards and a touchdown on six catches and it really when you're watching they, they really were able to set up the screen game with him really really well he was able to kind of get in space and really work, move the chains that way and actually end up getting into, into the pay dirt there so I kind of I kind of like what he brings to the table moving forward. It's 
it's a little bit more dynamic than what we were seeing from Edwards Alaire. I don't just, I don't know if that's because Edwards Alaire has been kind of nicked up all year, but uh, that's something to monitor while moving forward because we know we know about Tyreek Hill, we know about Travis Kelsey, we know what they can do on offense. It's just who's going to be that that third option, the fourth option behind them guys that really creates the the big time mismatches against you know the defense's not best cover players. So that's one thing that we could watch moving forward. But the Chiefs are looking extremely deadly heading into the divisional round. The last game from the weekend here is going to be the the Rams and the, the Cardinals. The Rams are the home team here. They end up winning the NFC West. The Cardinals are coming into town, and really, I thought with a divisional matchup like this and how good both of these teams kind of looked on paper, I thought that we were going to have a much more competitive game. But really, in realistic or excuse me, all realisticness, this wasn't a very good football game. The, the Rams from the get go were just out physicaling this this Cardinals team and. Uh, we'll get to the Kyler Murray piece in a bit, but the Rams end up winning 34-11. to And the Rams just complete domination. Uh, when we take a look at the stat sheet here, you get 375 yards of offense from the Rams, 183 from the Cardinals. They're almost doubling what they're putting through the, on the air, 235 by the Rams, 122 by the Cardinals. And on the ground, it's the same case here, 140 yards for the Rams, 61 for the Cardinals. Uh, they win the turnover battle as well. The Rams did. They're plus two. Yeah, Cardinals are minus two. So everything points to complete domination by the Rams. And you'd be right if you've seen that. So I want to get to the Kyler Murray piece here because he was awful for a majority of this football game. Like, I think he had like 20 yards passing in the first half. And there's a play when they're backed up in their own end zone. Uh, McVay wins the challenge on the A.J. Green catch. And basically says that it's an incomplete pass, which forces them to like the two yard line. So they go into pass formation, and, and when you're when you're this deep in your end zone, it's got to be something quick. And if you're going to go uh, to your second read, you got to make sure that ball's getting out on the second read. So Kyler Murray kind of double pads the ball, and then kind of half hitches it, and then just like underhand lobs it to the defender who walks in for probably the easiest pick six that anybody's ever seen in their entire life. I mean, it was a two-yard pick six, and, like, it was just, like, floating in the air, like, come get it. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get how you can make that play as a quarterback, knowing the knowing the situation, knowing that you're down by 14 points at this point. And, like, after that, it did, they just, like, laid it on them. Like, this, this Rams defense looked scary. I mean, I think Von Miller made a couple big plays, and we all know what they got in Aaron Donald. Uh, Jalen Ramsey wasn't even one of the pick six. It was David Long. So, I mean, it just shows you how deep they are. And... I was really impressed with the Rams. Uh, they look like a completely different ball team than what we've seen late in the season from them after losing to the Niners, losing to the Packers. So I think that they're honestly the second-best team in the NFC at this point behind the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I just wasn't that impressed with anybody else that, that played. I think that they can give a Buccaneers a better game than anybody else. So I think that's going to be the game of the week moving up here. But really, I think the name of this game is like – I know everybody wants to get on Cliff for his late season collapses and like, oh, he's not able to coach his team. But like, I seen a graphic the other day that showed like his record in the last six games of the last three years. Like, oh, we remember this. Do his full record for the last three years. Like, this dude has went from five nine and one to eight and eight to like twelve and five. Like, the needle's moving in the right direction here. Like, this is their first time making the playoffs in probably like four or five years or something like that. So, like, are, are we mad that we're winning football games? Are we mad that Cliff Kingsbury getting, is getting this 
you know, this program in the right direction. Like, yeah, he, he's kind of falling apart. It's his first time coaching in the NFL. Like, you're going to have your lumps, especially in these big games like this. He's never been there before. So now he knows. Like, you grow from it. Like, give the guy a break. I'm not I'm not jumping on that train. I, I mean, this was an ugly game by all accounts. But I don't think that this is a complete detriment to, like, Cliff Kingsbury as a coach as a whole. Like, it, Kyler Murray's just got to flat out be better. You're the number one overall pick. You're a guy that was in the MVP conversation for part of this season. You got to look better than what you did in this one. So... I put it on that. They got to do a better take uh, job taking care of the ball, a better job running the ball, and a better job on defense. So they got some stuff to build on, but that's basically where this this Cardinals team is at. And flipping back over to the Rams, uh, like I said, I think I'm I'm really excited about what they can do, and I think that this matchup with the Buccaneers coming up this week is going to be one for the one for the record books. It's going to be a really good one. So keep your keep your eyes out for the Los Angeles Rams. Back this week with our Jameis Winston Unlikely Hero of the Week. And uh, really, this one's going to surprise nobody after we kind of gushed about him here in the first segment of the pod. But it's a guy that never really got his chance to shine as the lead dog in a backfield as uh, he was in Minnesota behind a couple of guys. And then he moves over to San Francisco, signs a big deal, blows his knee out, and never really gets his time to shine as he gets jumped on the depth chart. Uh, he ends up finding himself in the red and white at Kansas City with the Chiefs, and it's going to be Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon was an absolute star in this Pittsburgh Steelers game, and I, I think it just he added a whole other element that they hadn't seen in that backfield, as I mentioned. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire really just hasn't been able to do this for this team, and McKinnon revived the screen game out of the backfield for him, and really he was averaging 5.1 yards a carry on uh, 12 carries ends up with 61 yards and then even through the air as we mentioned the screen game really came alive six receptions 81 yards and a touchdown so it, it's not like his production was through the roof but I, I just feel like his effect and the this is kind of what this offense is looking for is this dynamic playmaker out of the backfield and he really has kind of solidified him as himself as a threat moving forward here even if they do get Edwards a layer back I definitely think he can carve out a role and really cause some teams to game plan around him in the future. So our pick for the unlikely hero of the week this week, Jarek McKinnon. As we look ahead to the divisional round here, I just want to reflect for a quick moment here and let everybody know that we got the wild card selections last week 100% correct. So we went six for six on the games and all of our winners hit. So that's a pretty big deal in my book. I think that that shows you that <laughs> while we might be rambling and not always have some of the best audio on this side, but we, we definitely know what we're talking about here uh, at the Pound the Table podcast. So I I definitely suggest you guys tune in, listen to this segment each week. But uh, we're taking a look ahead to the divisional round here. So right off the bat, uh, we get two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, the first of which is going to be the Bengals at the Titans. It sounds like Derrick Henry is going to be a goal at this one. It's, it's just a matter of what the capacity he's going to be at is going to be, in my opinion. Uh, the Titans get the home field advantage as the one seed. The Bengals coming off a really, I would say, not red hot victory, but it's a little bit less inspiring victory over the Raiders last week. I thought they left a lot on the table. Uh, as I mentioned previously, it, de- it definitely felt like they were controlling the entire game, but they weren't 
like dominating. So I don't think there was a big threat from the Raiders. I know it came down to the one play at some point, but really I, I, I don't think that that makes a big difference in this game. Uh, they're going to be much more tested, I believe, defensively against the Titans. Uh, it sounds like uh, A.J. Brown's back, Julio's going to be back, Derrick Henry's going to be back. So they're going to be at full capacity, full tilt here. But where I'm looking at here, the big matchup is going to be is going to be in the secondary. It's going to be how can these DBs on the Titans hold up against guys like Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, uh, C.J. Sama, and even Mixon out of the backfield. I think that... There's a ton of weapons on this Bengals offense, and they're really going to stress this this Titans defense. It's really going to force them to get off, get after the passer, which a lot of teams have been able to against the Bengals. It's just Burrow's been better than the pressure. So can he do it again? Can he do it on the biggest stage here? I'm going with, yeah, I'm taking the Bengals over the Titans. I think that they're going to be able to expose this defense and show that the, the, the Titans are kind of playing in this weak AFC self-division and really capitalize on a wide-open AFC. So give me the Bengals over the Titans, which is going to take us right into our second game of the day, and it's going to be an NFC matchup. It's going to be the 49ers at the Green Bay Packers. I know a lot of people are talking about how the, the Niners have owned the Packers in the pa- uh, the postseason recently. I know the last couple of their, their uh, matchups, they've been limited injury-wise, and they haven't really been at a full roster. I know in this one, too, it sounds like Nick Bosa is a maybe, uh, with the concussion protocol in the short week. And then it sounds like Fred Warner is going to be a little bit hobbled coming into this one. So those are two of possibly the best players on the 49ers roster that are going to be not at 100% for this matchup or even playing at all, which is big-time concerns because it sounds like the Packers are getting Randall Cobb back. Uh, Bakhtiari is going to be back. I believe Jair has been practicing, uh, Jair Alexander, that is. So they're getting reinforcements back in a huge way for the Green Bay Packers. And we've already seen what they've been able to do without them guys. So can you just imagine, even if these guys are 85%, what they're going to bring to the table to really elevate this team to a whole nother level? Uh, if you can't tell already, I'm going with the Green Bay Packers just because the number one thing I'm going to, I believe it's going to get picked apart here, is going to be these Packers playmakers against these 49ers DBs. I mean, you got Jimmy Ward, and after that, I'm not really confident in just about anybody that's on this defensive backfield. Uh, Fred Warner can be a difference maker helping uh, in the middle of the field, but if he's hobbled, I don't know how much help he's going to be against some of these guys as well. I just think that Devontae Adams and even like Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard are going to be huge matchup nightmares because they got some serious size, and uh, we, uh, we know what Devontae Adams can do pretty much all over the field. So I, I really like that matchup for the Packers. I think they're going to be able to outscore them and really force the the ball into Jimmy's hands where they're not going to be able to just lean on this run game the entire time. So it's just going to be a couple of stops on the defense to to really be able to allow them to run up the score. And then after that, it's going to be a shootout, which I'm taking Aaron Rodgers 12 times out of 10. So Packers over the Niners Saturday night. And that's going to lead us right into the Sunday matchup. And I, I think that this, I mean, you're going to get two really solid games on Sunday this week. And they're really big-time games. It's going to be the Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when I'm taking a look at this one, uh, the Buccaneers uh, looked very efficient. They beat up on a lesser opponent in the Eagles last week. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail because we talked about it at the beginning. But I just thought that it was a tune-up game for them. They Even even Leonard Fournette didn't go. Uh, I believe he's got a shot to go in this one. They're going to definitely need him because they're really short playmakers on that side of the ball. 
Uh, what really intrigues me, though, is this defense and how they're going to react to some of this McVay offense. I think if the Buccaneers can get an early lead on the Rams, they can really jump them and force the Rams not to be able to run the ball because we all know McVay in this wide zone offense, what they want to do, they want to spread you out. They want to hit you with the boot on the backside. They want to hit those cutback lanes. And if they're not able to do that with the run game, it really changes how they're going to play this game. And it forces uh, Matt Stafford to make a lot of decisions that they don't really need him or want him to make necessarily. But I'm going to lean the other way. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams in this one. I just... With, the Rams did on defense last week against the Cardinals was extremely frightening. And uh, Kyler Murray, I mean, he isn't the best quarterback in the second half of the season here, but he, I mean, he's top 10 in the league and they held this guy to like nothing. And even normally when you hold Kyler Murray, Murray to nothing through the air, you're going to get hurt by his legs. He's, he's definitely able to scramble around and they really did a good job of holding them together. So imagine what they're going to do to a guy that's stationary like Tom Brady. He's basically just daring you to blitz him because he gets the ball out so fast. So what happens when your cover corners like Jalen Ramsey and, and this David Long that looked really good and Darius Williams, all these guys take away some of them, um, you know, quicker routes, and they're going to rush you with like just four or five guys here. They're going to get after you, and they're going to collapse inside of that pocket with Donald. And I don't know if I want to be the guy staying there when they do. So give me the Rams over the Buccaneers. And that's going to take us into the Bills at the Chiefs. And honestly, I, I thought the Rams at the Buccaneers was going to be the matchup of the week, but this Bills and Chiefs game is going to have absolute fireworks. I think the Bills are going to be favored in this one just because of what they did last week. But really, I mean, this is a straight-up pickup in my opinion. This is two high-flying offenses going toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow. And really, I don't, I don't see any of these defenses stopping either of them the entire game. And... I think that whatever the over is, I'm hammering it no matter what. I mean, if even if they set it at, you know, 55, 56 points, I think I'm still hammering it. I think both these teams are going to eclipse 30 points, and it's going to be one of those offensive shootouts for the decade. I know that we all want to lean on the Bills here and, and believe that this is going to be Josh Allen's time. He's going to surpass them. Uh, and I, I do believe in this Bills defense more than I believe in this Chiefs defense, but I just I don't like how they hold up against upper-hand competition. And we can even flip the script here on this one. Uh, The Chiefs have done a really good job of getting after the passer. But, I mean, we've seen what Josh Allen's been able to do against some of these better pass rushes and really carve them up and leave unaffected and really use his legs to to an advantage here. I mean, he he very well might throw for 350 yards and run for 150, 100 yards on this one. And it wouldn't surprise me even in the slightest. So it's, it's a really tough pick in this one. But... In the preseason, I went with the Bills and the Packers in the Super Bowl. So if the Bills lose in the divisional round, they can't make the Super Bowl. So give me the Bills over the Chiefs, and the road teams are really going to make hay in this round. So for our last segment here today, normally this is where we would do something along the lines of, hey, we're going to take a look at the draft ahead. We're going to take a look at some of the free agency stuff, uh, some of the coaching stuff. But a lot of that's kind of on pause right now. They're kind of doing a lot of uh, back office processing at the moment. So what we're going to do instead is uh, in the nature of some of the NFL Network stuff where they do the top 100 players, we're going to do our top five players at every position uh, for the the year of the NFL 2021 season. And basically we're just going to go by our strict subjective opinion and rank them in order five to one, position by position. Uh, just how we think it, 
how it's going to shake out and who's the most valuable at their positions. So it'll be quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, interior offensive lineman, and then we flip to the defensive side. It'll be interior D linemen, edge players, linebackers, safeties, corners. All right. So without further ado, let's jump right into it here. And we're going to start right off with everybody's favorite. We're going to go right with the quarterbacks right off the bat here. And our number five quarterback for the uh, 2021 NFL season is going to be Patrick Mahomes. And uh, you might be a little surprised to see him at number five here. And uh, really, if we're taking a look at it, uh, a down season for Patrick Mahomes, if this is what it is, he's in for store for a like absolutely elite career. Uh, he ends up finishing the season. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs go 12-5. and five. He ends up having 436 complete completions on 658 attempts, 4,839 yards, and 37 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. And really what I'm looking at here in terms of, excuse me, his uh, his stats is that the touchdown number's down a little bit from what we're used to seeing from him. And also the interception number's up a little bit. So... That's the only reason I, I had to dock him a little bit. I know he's got a ton, ton of uh, guys around him that are doing a lot of special things, like Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, these are two dynamic playmakers. They're, I mean, they're arguably the best at their positions as well. There's, there's an argument to be made for both. So it's hard to, it's hard to use that against the guy because it, putting you in a successful situation makes you a successful player. But nonetheless. Uh, that that was why I put uh, Mahomes at five. Uh, being in the top five doesn't mean anything bad. I mean, you're still a top five player in the league at the most important position. So I I just don't think by any standards, and even by his own standards, that he's like uh, normally like an MVP contender. That he was deserving of any higher than the number five spot, especially when you see what the, the season some of these guys ahead of him have put put up this year. So. Patrick Mahomes, our number five quarterback on the year. Moving right on to the number four quarterback this year. Um, this one might come as a little bit of a shock to everybody, but after I took a look through the numbers, it was it was really impressive, actually, what, what he ended up doing this year. It's going to be Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, this isn't recency bias. I try not to use any of the playoff stuff that he had been doing lately to you know kind of support his resume. But he goes 409 completions on 646 attempts. And then we're going to do 36 touchdowns and 15 INTs uh, to go. And also, I'll start throwing uh, average yards per attempt in there, too. It's a 6.9 as well. And you're going to say, well, those aren't that great of numbers. You know, Patrick Mahomes had him beat there. And I, I would say, yeah, he he's pretty close to having him beat there. And I don't know if I included the yardage. It was 4,407. He's got him pretty much beat in every statistical category except when we go to one of them, and that's going to be his rushing yards. This guy is a guy that is an absolute dynamic threat. He's a game changer on running the ball and carrying the ball. So that's why I had to make sure I put him ahead of uh, Patrick Mahomes here because he ends up with just over 600 yards rushing, I believe. It was – excuse me, I'm pulling it up as we speak. But for rushing, he ends up with 763 yards, six touchdowns. So just let me put that in perspective. I mean, I think Mahomes had like 100 or 200 yards on the ground. So he's combining for 4,900 yards of offense and 37 touchdowns, maybe 38. This guy's throwing up, you know, 40-plus 
and 5,300 yards of offense. This guy is the Bills. This is the Bills offense. If you watch him play, he is the Bills offense. And I just, I, I love what he did this season. I thought he, he took a big step forward. And really, in a lot of people's mind, he regressed a little bit from last year, which if, if this is a regression for him, sign me up for the next at least 10 years because you're going to have one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the entire league running the show. So that's going to take us right into our third quarterback here. And everybody's going to be probably wondering, like, oh, well, that's the third quarterback, you know. <laughs> or if that's the fourth quarterback, who's going to end up as the third here? Because I think everybody's going to have a pretty good idea who the top two are. But our number three quarterback is going to be – oh, excuse me. I don't know why. Oh, it's giving me – it's filtering by last week's uh, offensive leaders. So <laughs> I apologize. Let me fix that quick. But our number three quarterback is going to be Justin Herbert for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, once again, uh, Justin Herbert, another elite season, beating expectations. Everybody, he, he came out the gate screaming last year. Uh, I think he had like 4,500 yards or something like that. Yeah, 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns. And what does he do this year? He goes for over 5,000 yards and has 38 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. So there's a few more turnovers there than, than you'd like seeing. But the 5,014 yards is just absolutely crazy. This guy's got a ton of arm talent. I know everybody says, what's arm talent? It's being able to make all the throws, in my opinion, and being able to make some special ones that not a lot of people can make. And I know everybody remembers the one where it's like 70-plus air yards, and he just does it just effortlessly from the pocket, getting rushed, just heaves a bomb, and it's like right on the money. Like that's the, that's the special things this guy can do. And not even the – also add to it i mean the guy has 302 yards on the ground and three another an additional three touchdowns so if he could cut down on the turnovers a little bit uh he'd probably be higher on this list and they'd probably have some more wins but in my opinion this this guy is a truly ascending quarterback he's a, a true game changer uh he's changing the entire outlook of that chargers franchise so give me justin herbert as the number three quarterback in the nfl this season which is going to take us right into the number two spot. And this is where it's going to get a little subjective. So I, if I make anybody mad and they say that my rankings are garbage, I understand. Uh, that's fine. Like I said, it's, it's my opinion. It's my thoughts. And maybe I'm a little jaded. But uh, give me number two quarterback for the 2021 NFL season is going to be Tom Brady. So Tom Brady for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had arguably the best statistical season of any NFL quarterback this year. He goes for 5,316 yards, 43 touchdowns, uh, 12 interceptions. And I'm not even going to read his uh, his interception numbers because <laughs> nobody's going to be that impressed with them. So he has a really, really solid season this year and honestly leads in some of the most statistical categories, or most important, I should say. And he ends up with the second-best QBR by ESPN's uh, standards as well, 682 and we'll get to who's number one there in a second. But Brady doing what he's doing at the age of 44 just doesn't even make sense anymore. This is a guy that's literally defying time. Uh, normally we start saying guys are wearing down, their arms start wearing out. Uh, look at what happened to Ben Roethlisberger this year. This guy, it's a guy that's six, seven years younger than Brady. And he completely lost all the velocity in his arm. He isn't able to put t uh, balls down the field. He isn't able to put you know, some of the speed on it that you see Brady doing. And Brady's doing it from a pocket where he can't move. Like, Brady's never been this mobile guy that's been able to extend plays. Uh, 
I should say, using speed alone, he's able to navigate the pocket and do stuff that we've never seen before and that we may never see again. And he, he has a way of processing the field that we may never see again. I mean, he's seeing stuff that there's no way anybody else in this league is seeing. And when you're 44 years old, that's what you got to do. And he's the quarterback for the number two team in the NFC. They're still alive in the playoffs. Like I said, that's I'm not going to count them being alive in the playoffs as anything that is weighing into my subjectivity here. But nonetheless, I mean, that it's impressive what he's doing, especially now in the later half of the season here. He's losing a lot of his weapons. So that that's going to put Brady at number two for me, mainly just because like the stats are absolutely off the charts. They don't even make sense anymore. So number two, Tom Brady. And the number one quarterback uh, for the 2021 NFL season, uh, I think everybody guessed it. If you've been following the podcast at all in any capacity for the last you know, year or so, you're going to know that I'm a huge Packers fan. And that's why I said maybe I'm a little bit jaded. But I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers as the number one quarterback in the league this year. If, if anybody has watched a Green Bay Packers game this year, you're going to be able to tell why he's the best player in the NFL. This this guy, it's it's absolutely remarkable what he's doing. They're missing three to four in our offensive line starters for a majority of the season between Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari, Josh Myers, and Billy Turner. I mean, name me one team in the NFL that can miss four of their starting offensive linemen and still have their quarterback being kept upright and being put in and – great situations I mean look what Burrow's doing he's been sacked 50 some times so maybe him but Rodgers isn't even taking the sacks like Burrow is so that's why it makes it more important or impressive in my opinion he ends the year with 4,115 yards 37 touchdowns and only four interceptions he's got the best QBR in the NFL according to ESPN and he's he's most likely the most efficient passer of maybe all time in the NFL history. Nobody takes care of the football like Aaron Rodgers takes care of the football. And I'm a huge proponent of uh, it would be the, the turnover battle in these games because I think turnovers are the most important stat in football. The more you possess the ball and the less you give it away, the more chances you have to score, the more chances you have to win the football game. And Aaron Rodgers takes care of it like we've never seen before. I mean, this guy has, if he has over five interceptions in a year, we're, we're all sitting there with our jaws on the floor seeing, like, what's going on here? Like, this guy's having a bad year. But he's not. It's it, it's just a, it's a normal year by his standards. Four or five interceptions, and he's going to throw up 35 to 40 touchdowns a year, plus 4,000 yards. Like, this is stuff that people aren't supposed to be able to do, and he's also doing it at an accelerated age, except I think – his arm on top of what he can do compared to Brady is, is stuff that, you know, you write legends about. Uh, his, his ability to put touch on passes, you know, 50, 60 yards down the field. His ability to, to escape pressure at 36 years old and really just scan the field and know what's going on at all times. It's, it's, it's truly a great thing what he's doing, and it's, it's really history in the making. Uh, he really, in my opinion, deserves to get a second MVP this year. And I think he's going to get that. He's going to lock that up and bring that home. He's first team AP all pro. So uh, Aaron Rodgers, the number one NFL quarterback for the 2021 NFL season. So the last top five I wanted to make sure we got into here 
on today's episode is going to be the top five NFL running backs. And just like we did with the quarterbacks, we're going to start at five, work our way to one. And right off the bat here, we're going to get a heavy hitter. I'm going with the number five NFL running back for the 2021 NFL season is going to be Derrick Henry. And hear me out. This is a season long award. So don't give me any of this. Oh, Derrick Henry was hurt most of the year. You know, why is he on your list? Because let me, let me just explain to you what he's done this season. So Derrick Henry is number nine in the NFL in rushing with 937 yards. And he ended up with, excuse me, 10 touchdowns. So let me put that in perspective for you. He's top 10 in the league in rushing, and he only played half of the season. Like, what are we, what are we debating here? This guy is... He's truly a unicorn. Like, it doesn't make sense. And on top of that, he's had 154 yards uh, receiving with no touchdowns there. But, I mean, just this guy's got over 1,000 yards from scrimmage in eight, in eight games. There's some guys that didn't get, get over 1,000 yards, and they played 16 or 17 games that are, like, full-time starters. So Derrick Henry is still going to end up on my top five just for that reason alone. And when you watch the games, it's very clear who the most important player in that offense is. Uh, we we kind of seen what Ryan Tannehill is with without Derrick Henry, and I mean you guys can think what you want, but I ain't signing up for that uh, that show anytime soon if I'm a front office GM. So Derrick Henry, in my opinion, is he's worthy of a higher spot at number five, but just for the fact that he did miss so many games, he's not like top five in any of these categories. Uh, puts a little pause on my game. Uh, I don't. I don't think I can throw him much higher than this, but he definitely deserves to be on just about any list that you're talking about when you're talking about top running backs in the NFL. So number five, going to Derrick Henry for this season. The number four NFL running back, uh, we're, we're going to get into some more of the <laughs> uh, ones you're going to expect here. And number four is going to be Joe Mixon for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Joe Mixon's done some really special things this season. Uh, he ended up being the number three NFL uh, rusher in NFL yardage this season with 1,205 yards. He ends up with 13 touchdowns. And I know his receiving stats are up there a little bit as well, too. He ends up with 314 yards and three touchdowns there as well. So he's a little bit of a threat through the air. But Mixon is is honestly, I think he's, he's the most key piece of this Bengals offense on basically setting up what they want to do. Because I know you can tell me all about this prolific season that Jamar Chase is having and all these receiving threats with Boyd and Higgins and Usama and Joe Burrow. But I think when they when they really stick to their guns and they really dedicate themselves to this run game, it really opens up a, a dimension to this offense that is a lot different and it keeps teams guessing just because it's, it's, they're not always the best pass blocking team. So why not let the guys up front do what's a little bit easier for them and run block. And then also when you, when you're running the ball, even just, you know, four yards a clip, you know, 15 to 20 times a game, it's, it's keeping the defense honest. It's putting more guys in the box and it's allowing Joe Burrow to get some of these quicker, easier throws out against easier coverages. So I really think that's why he's such an important key piece of this Bengals offense and it, it shows he's he's a top three rusher in terms of yardage. He's top four in uh, touchdowns this year. I I just really like what Joe Mixon did this year, and I think he's well worthy of the number four running back in the NFL. Which is going to take us right into our third running back this season. 
And this one's going to be, you know, this when I'm when I'm looking through the stats, I'm remembering who's what for each team. And this one kind of caught me off guard. I was like, man, was, was he really that good this season? And then I go and check the numbers. He really was that good this season. So it's going to be Austin Eckler. He's the number three NFL running back. And we've seen flashes in the past of what this guy's able to do when he's healthy. That's that's just the caveat there is is when he's healthy. He he's always had a couple of nagging injuries. I think he had one small one this year where he missed a little bit of time, but it was nothing significant because he ends up with some of these crazy volume stats. But he he ends up with 911 yards on the ground and 12 touchdowns. And this is where it's going to really jump off the page at you. Is he ends up with 94? Oh, excuse me, not 94. That's targets. 70 receptions for 647 yards and another eight touchdowns. So this is a guy that's thrown up 20 touchdowns and 1,700 scrimmage yards. Uh, I can give you a hint at who that – there's only one guy that's probably beaten that, and is he's going to end up on our list later here. But those are some pretty crazy numbers in my opinion. Uh, this is a guy that does it all. He catches it out of the backfield. He runs the ball. He scores touchdowns. I mean, what more can you ask from a guy? He, he's literally – one of the driving forces in that offense. He's one of the most dynamic playmakers in the league, and he's definitely one of the reasons why Justin Herbert had such a great year this year. I, I honestly think he's extremely underrated as well running the ball. Uh, he's like a compact, like if you remember back in the day with Doug Martin for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's this little compact muscle hamster kind of. So I'm a huge fan of Austin Eckler's. I think he had a phenomenal season. He's definitely wor- rewarded with it with a number three spot on our list here which is going to take us right into the number two running back in the NFL this year. And this one is maybe a little bit of a surprise to everybody. His numbers aren't quite as good as everybody else on this list. But the number two running back in the NFL this year is going to be Nick Chubb for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, Nick Chubb ends up missing a couple of, uh, it was at least one or two games for the Cleveland Browns this year. But he ends up checking in with some really, really impressive numbers. 228, or excuse me, 228 attempts for 1,259 yards and eight touchdowns. That's good for five and a half yards every time he's touching the ball. And it's a great mystery to me when you watch their games as to why they're not feeding him more because the stuff he does with the ball, there's not many running backs in this league that can do those kind of things. He's really just bulldozing his way through the line, and he's a big reason of why Baker Mayfield's been so successful in the history. And don't get me wrong, Kareem Hunt's pretty good, and – I don't think Nick Chubb gets a fair shake at the, the passing volume that Kareem Hunt gets. But what this guy is able to do uh, just on a carry-to-carry basis, running the ball, it's it's flabbergasting. It's eye-popping numbers. Uh, he's built like a, a brick house. Like This guy is absolutely monstrous, and he's a load to carry down, and he always has been since he's gotten the league. And I just think he's one of the true difference makers. He's one of the guys that truly deserves the big contract when you're talking in terms of money and production that you see that isn't always going to show up in the stat sheet. So give me Nick Chubb as the number two NFL running back this season. And the number one running back in the NFL this year uh, should come as a surprise to nobody here. It's going to be Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor for the Indianapolis Colts was the rushing leader in the NFL this year. He ended up with 1,811 yards, 18 touchdowns, uh, added 360 yards receiving and two touchdowns through the, or excuse me, receiving as well too. So he combines for 20 touchdowns, over 2,000 scrimmage yards. Uh, that That's easily tops 
pretty much in the entire league there. I believe Debo Samuel comes knocking on the door. He hits about 17, 1800. But uh, very easily the tops for a running back here. I know we touched on Eckler, but even when you look at what Jonathan Taylor means to his team, I mean, he's one of the, the few running backs in the last, you know, couple decades here that have really even been mentioned in the same breath as the MVP award. He he pretty much was this entire Colts offense. Uh, when he went and when he was on fire, they were winning football games. There's a, there's a couple of games you point to where he doesn't go for a buck 50 and a score or two, they don't win that football game. And uh, I think he's, it's a main reason why they didn't beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and get into the playoffs. And it shows how limiting the running back position is as a whole. But uh, still, what he can mean to a team when he's really firing on all cylinders. He's a real unique blend of uh, size and speed. Uh, basically, anybody that's seen him coming out of Wisconsin or was a Wisconsin fan like myself, you knew this guy was going to be good right off the bat. And when you combine that with an offensive line like the Colts have, you get a really dynamic talent. And I think Jonathan Taylor is kind of one of those guys that transcends the the modern day NFL running back and it's it's no surprise to me he's ended up number one on our list here and I, I'd expect him to be you know top five for the next at least three to four to five seasons over the life of uh, the span that a running back has these days so hats off to Jonathan Taylor number one running back in the NFL this year So that's going to be it, folks. We really appreciate everybody tuning in this week. As always, uh, you guys are the greatest. Uh, Hope you guys liked uh, that last little bit of the segment there. I I got a lot of feedback on some of my top five uh, guys at each position on Twitter. So I wanted to make sure that that was something that we were going to hit on uh, coming up here at some point in the season. So what better time now before we get to the heart of the offseason? So next week, we're going to be doing uh, wide receivers and tight ends. I kind of spoiled the tight ends on Twitter the other day. So uh, that's a little bit of a preview, but we're going to make sure we, we hit on every position. Uh, also, we'll make sure we review the divisional round as always and make our conference championship picks next week. And uh, as always, uh, I'm a little behind. Uh, I'm just guessing Wednesday, Thursday is going to be the new day we're coming out with the pod every week. So just make sure you keep an eye out and hit that subscribe button so you get notified when it comes out. Otherwise, we'll see you guys all next week, and thanks again.